Welcome to the Purim Podcast. Today, Esther, Chapter 2. Our chapter today deals with three different episodes. The first one, an introduction to Mordechai and Esther. The second, which really envelops the whole chapter, the search for a new wife for King Ahasuerosh. And the third is a small episode at the end, the conspiracy of Bigtan and Teresh, who try and kill the king, a conspiracy which is foiled by Mordechai. Chapter 2 opens, Sometime afterwards, the anger of King Ahasuerosh subsided. He thought of Vashti and what she had done, and the king's courtiers, clearly he's depressed, uh, they say to him, Let us get uh, beautiful virgins, and uh, they will come to the king, and we will find you a new queen. Um, this is, again, where we see the notion of uh, King Ahasuerus as a sort of capricious, unpre- unpredictable, impulsive king. He deposes his queen and then feels sorry afterwards. However, um, here we talk about the search for a, a new queen. I remember as a little boy in primary school, we used to have a pageant for Purim. And they used to hold a fancy dress competition. Many of the girls, we were age six or seven or eight, would dress up as a princess or as Queen Esther. And somehow, in my mind, it resembled the search in the Megillah for a new queen, for the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. And I'd like to sort of debunk that whole notion of what uh, this is all about. Um, think about what we're dealing with. Uh, this is probably the quite the most cruelest uh, way of choosing a queen. Um, you take Na'arot virgin girls, who have never been with a man before. You bring them to the palace. The protocol was that they would spend 12 months in preparation. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then she would spend a night with the king. At night, she goes to the king. In the morning, she leaves. And she would never be called back to the king unless he would ask for her by name. Now, the house that she goes to, the place she goes to after she spent the night with the king, is, in fact, the Beit HaPilag Shim, the house of the concubines. In other words, once she had, the king had been intimate with her, she was now the king's property. In other words, what we're really talking about is that one girl would get chosen as the queen, but the other hundreds of girls uh, basically had no future. They would go to the house of the concubines. The king would never call them again because he can have a, excuse me, a, a fresh girl every night. And therefore, why would he ever remember their name? Probably he's drunk anyway. And from now on, they're sort of married to the king because he slept with them. And they're basically going to live as eternal widows, um, never having children, um, being in this awful environment. The competition, in order to maybe make an impression on the king, was immense. And essentially, we're talking about hundreds of young ladies um, who are essentially raped for the night and then live uh, as living widows for the rest of their time. Maybe as a sign of this, we actually... um, have their preparation, which is the longest verse in the whole of the Megillah. 
It says, Pasuk Yudbet, verse 12, Hagia torna araba narala bola melecha chashvirosh, miketsayet lo kadat hanashim shneimasar chodesh. They prepared for 12 months. And what did they do? Shisha chodashim b'shem and hamor. Six months with the oils, with certain oils. And shisha chodashim b'psamim. And six months in the uh, perfumery of tamruke hanashim and with all sorts of cosmetics. Even the image of somebody being six months in the oils, I know they probably were, I don't know exactly what they were doing here, but it almost sounds like they are being, how should I say it, pickled. They're being pickled. They're being dehumanized. And when we add this to the treatment of Vashti in the last chapter, where Vashti exerted her independence, the phrase is, Vatama'ein hamalv ka Vashti. Vashti refused, and that phrase, Vatama'ein, reminds us of Yosef, as Yosef resists the laws and the seduction of Potiphar's wife. Um, same words used, Vayima'ein, he refused. Vashti refuses to be a, a sex object for the king. And um, here we see that really this is the atmosphere, the terrible atmosphere which is going on here in the sixth and seventh year of Ahasuerus in the palace. This is no beauty contest. This is a, a terrible situation. So the king is looking for a new wife, and this is when we get introduced to uh, our two heroes, I would say, um, Esther and Mordechai. Ish Yehudi b'Shushana b'Ira u'Shmo Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi ben Kish ishimini. Mordechai is an Ishihudi, a Jew. He's actually from the tri- He's an Ishimini. He's a Benjaminite, but he is a, a Judean because all Jews are known from Judah, from Judea. And it says his name is Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, who was exiled from Jerusalem. Um, in an exile of Yehoniah, the king of Yehuda which took, part, took place 11 years before the uh, Chorban, before the destruction of the temple. And here we have a very interesting question. Is Mordechai the person who was exiled from Jerusalem? Or was it actually his great-grandfather? Um, his great-grandfather being Kish. He is Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish. Uh, then it says, Vayhi Omenet Hadassah, he had adopted his um, niece, Hadassah, who is Esther, because she didn't have a father or mother. And um, she was beautiful, and he had adopted her when her parents uh, died. And we all know that Esther is taken to the palace. Here there's a huge debate about what, how we should view uh, Mordechai and Esther. Uh, one way to look at them is um, partly the rabbinic way, is that indeed Mordechai was exiled from Jerusalem. He is very, very Jewish. In some versions, he's the head of the Sanhedrin. And um, him and Esther are, are a very, a very strong in their Jewish identity. However, and this might work if you want to argue that they are recent refugees. And then you might say that Esther's mother and father died in the Khurban, in the destruction of the temple. And then we see Esther and Mordechai hiding their Jewish identity because they really are so Jewish. Mordechai is the head of the community. That's why he walks out in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther herself, according to the Midrash, kept Shabbat, uh, was pained by not eating kosher in the palace, etc., etc. However, 
Uh, most commentators don't see it that way at all, because we have Mordechai, whose name seems to be derived from the from the word Marduk, one of the gods of Persia. And Esther has these this double identity, right? Her Hebrew name is Hadassah, but she has a Persian name, Esther, which is Ishtar, again an idolatrous name. And if Mordechai is indeed the great-grandson of somebody who was exiled from Jerusalem, then we'd say, yes, indeed, his great-grandfather came um, with the elite of Jerusalem in the first wave of exiles to, to Babylon and Persia. But now we see his great-grandson, who um, at the end of the chapter, Yoshev Bashar HaMelech, he sits at the gate of the king, which, which essentially means he, you know, we shouldn't imagine he's literally sitting by the gate as a gatekeeper. The Shar HaMelech is a sort of a, a euphemism for what we call in England Whitehall or what you call in America, I don't know, the, the White House, the West Wing. He's in the seat of government. Um, some people think Bashar HaMelech is, is, might be the, the, the law courts. At the end of the chapter, we realize he is privy to, to all sorts of government secrets, so much so that he stumbles in on a plot against the king. He's, 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 he's a, a climber um, into the political elites. He's, he's very high in, in the government circles. So Mordechai, and, and the fact that Mordechai and Esther can sort of hide their Jewish identity leads us to believe that these are quite assimilated uh, Persian Jews. And uh, this is the way I want to read it, where Mordechai and Esther and part of the big drama um, of the Megillah is uh, whether these very assimilated um, Jews who have Persian names and Persian identities and careers very high up in government, at what point are they going to sort of own up and take on and fully absorb their Jewish identity? Um I mentioned last time, and the rabbinic um, read of the Megillah is that never is a punishment without a sin. And the sin was that the, the Jews took part in Ahasuerus' party, that they're too assimilated, let's call it that way. They're too absorbed into the, the value set of, of Shushan. This is the rabbinic read in the Talmud in, in, in Masechet Megillah, adopted by Rashi's and others. And then this becomes a very strong drama, not only about, as I mentioned last time, do you find yourself comfortable in the palace of Shushan or in the temple of Jerusalem? Are you Hadassah or are you Esther? Uh, how much are you Persian? How much are you a Jew? And this will have to come out in the course of the Megillah. Uh, Esther is taken to the to the king to be one of these virgin girls to be proposed for as, as a wife. Does she want this? Does she want to go? Did she volunteer or was she taken? Uh, this is argued by modern scholars of Bible. It's also argued by the traditional commentators. Ibn Ezra, maybe following the assimilationist plan, says that indeed Mordechai sent her there. He wanted her to get ahead, to become the queen. What a joy. Uh, why not? This would be the dream of every girl. However, there are others, Rashi amongst them, Adele Berlin um, amongst the modern commentators about Esther, who say no, no way that this was, first of all, a terrible situation to be. But if you look at the story, um, you will notice that Esther is always uh, refusing things. First of all, in verse 8, She didn't go. She was taken. Uh, not only that, all of the girls were uh, then, verse 10, 
she didn't say who she was. She didn't tell about her ethnic identity. She just said, I grew up in Shushan. <laughs> she didn't say she was a Jew who originated ethnically from Yehuda. All of the women who came to the king had to impress the king. And therefore, over Hagia, the Torah, Esther, Barabichayel, Dod Mordechai, what does it say? Lobik Shadavar. She didn't ask any special requests when she went to the king. And once again, verse 16, She was taken to the king of Hashverosh. I'm not saying, she, not saying she was taken screaming and kicking, but the notion that some way this is institutional rape. In some sense, Chazal used the phrase, Karka Olam. She was certainly not willing to be with the king. She was taken against her will. If you want to take the approach that she is very aware of her Jewish identity, this would definitely have been a calamity in her life. But even if she was incredibly assimilated, this still probably was not a nice experience to go through. And it, it certainly looks like Esther was uh, not where she wanted to be in this situation. The very last scene in this chapter, Mordechai is sitting at the Shar HaMelech. He's in the West Wing. And he is, hears about a conspiracy against the king. It says that two of the king's guards were going to assassinate him. I want to stress that clearly something's deeper going on. You don't just have two secret service people who take out the president. There's obviously a very deep conspiracy uh, going on uh, behind the scenes with people in high places, politicians, senators, governors, and whoever it might be. And obviously somebody tries to bring Mordechai in on this plot to try and have him join the conspiracy and he snitches to the king. First of all, this shows us how high up Mordechai is in government. But second of all, this tells us that Mordechai is loyal to the king. He is loyal to government. He is loyal to Ahasuerus. And this is, of course, going to be very, very important later on in the story. Okay, we're out of time. Uh, next time, chapter three, where Mordechai refuses to bow to Haman, and the decree is made again. Okay.